Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 28 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. She replaced invisible handcuffs for real ones, but at least then she knew where she would be. She would no longer be constantly told that everything she did was not right and wrong. She would most importantly not have to lie anymore. Claire Wade QC, Bristol Crown Court, October 2021. My voices don't don't talk about it now, okay? No, no, I have no no intention of not agreeing to what I've done. Okay. I know what I've done. All right. And I know why I've done it. And if I haven't done it properly, I'm really February 13th, 2021. A home on Parsonage Road in Barrow, Somerset was illuminated by the flashing blue lights of several emergency vehicles. 
It was around quarter past nine at night. There was a report of an elderly man who was severely injured. The address was one of the first properties paramedics saw when entering the street from Pinnock's Croft. They pulled up onto a brick drive in the small seaside village, entering through a black gate that secured the property. As the ambulance crew and police officers filed into the bungalow, it was clear to paramedics that the 78-year-old dressed in just his underwear and covered in blood had been stabbed several times. David Jackson was pronounced dead at the scene. Officers from Avon and Somerset Police set up a cordon. A few locals came close, curious and concerned about what was going on in their usually quiet street. Forensic teams dressed head to toe in white carried specialist equipment in and out of the property. Another strange sight for the growing number of spectators. There was talk that David's 65-year-old wife Penelope, referred to as Penny or Pen by family and friends, was in custody for the killing. No one knew exactly what had unfolded on that Saturday night, but unsurprisingly rumours circulated. She had been seen being ushered into the back of a police car. The whispers were true. Penelope Jackson had been arrested on suspicion of murder. The former Ministry of Defence worker who had recently retired in March 2020 was to appear before Taunton Magistrates Court at the start of the following week. The Jacksons had been married for two and a half decades. The general consensus was they were kindly neighbours who were particularly house-proud. They were often gardening, and in the months before the killing were seen removing large plants from the front garden. Nothing seemed unusual, just an average retired couple making home improvements together. No one could recall any screaming or shouting coming from the property, which stood near the village hall. In fact, when news broke that David had died, not a single person who then spoke with the media could recall an incident or crossword between the couple. David Jackson was a cheerful soul. If he saw a neighbour, he would always greet them with a chirpy hello. Neighbours said the Jacksons had been living at the property for around eight years, retiring to the village of Barrow after relocating from the town of Taunton where they had previously lived. David Jackson, a former lieutenant colonel in the Royal Logistics Corps, had risen through the ranks since he was a teenager. In his early 50s, he went on to work overseas for the Ministry of Defence in Germany and France, as did his wife, Penelope. She also found employment in the government's Department for International Development. The couple had children from their previous relationships, 
David had adopted Penelope's youngest daughter. David Jackson had an interest in sport. He enjoyed watching football, and the golfing enthusiast was the former captain of the Burnham and Barrow Golf Club. His family spoke of a man that was polite and kind of heart. Throughout the national lockdown, he had made efforts to be in regular contact with his relatives. His sibling, Jennifer Bliss, told reporters Adam Bennett and Ben Hill that we can only say a good word about David. I couldn't have wished for a nicer brother. She added, David really was an amazing man. Initially, the motivation for the killing was a mystery, at least to the public. It was certainly not over money worries. The Jacksons were seen as financially comfortable, making the most of their retirement together, often going on cruises and even installing a hot tub. Further comments from David's sister were printed in the Times newspaper. I feel so sorry for their daughter. Jennifer Bliss said. She's a lovely girl. What a thing to fall on her shoulders. She's lost her dad and her mum has been charged. She's so vulnerable at the moment. We are trying to stay strong for her. A post-mortem confirmed that David Jackson's life came to an end after he was stabbed with a bladed weapon. He succumbed to substantial blood loss. A member of the major crime investigation team, Detective Inspector Roger Doxey, offered his sympathies and said that inquiries were at an early stage. The public were asked to contact the local constabulary if they had any information about the incident. More news of the attack would gradually reach the ears and eyes of the public when reporters from the Mail Online spoke with Jeremy Mullins, one of Penelope Jackson's in-laws. It was initially reported that David Jackson had been stabbed in the kitchen when an argument broke out over who would use a single charging adapter for their electronic devices. Supposedly, this, quote, petty row escalated over the need to charge an iPad and concluded with David Jackson being fatally wounded. David Jackson had been married three times before, and he was Penelope's fourth husband. She was first married in 1972 when she was 18, and had two children. The split was acrimonious. Penelope would later claim that she was subjected to violence in the home, so she fled. This allegation has been reported across numerous publications, However, it is something that would later be denied outright by one of Penelope's daughters. After the split, the children from Penelope Jackson's first marriage stayed with their father and his new girlfriend, 
while Penelope helped to support them financially by paying maintenance. She met her second husband who was serving in the Royal Air Force. However, that relationship dissolved and they drifted apart after approximately six years of marriage. Penelope Jackson was again married in 1988 and her then third husband also worked in the Royal Air Force as an engineer. She gave birth to a daughter, but a few years later tragedy struck when her husband Alan Warrender found out she had been unfaithful. He took his life in 1993. The affair with David Jackson started after they met when working together on an army base in Lincolnshire. The couple married three years later following David Jackson's divorce from his second wife, Then on February 13th, 2021, David Jackson was stabbed three times with a kitchen knife by his wife, Penelope. At the opening of the trial, which began on Monday, October 11th, 2021, The jury of eight women and four men heard the entire 18-minute call made to 999 as David Jackson fought for his life. He only managed to briefly describe the events of the attack when he screamed as his wife of 24 years stabs him again. A female voice is then heard on the line telling the operator, I've killed my husband, or tried to, because I've had enough. And are you with him now? Well, I might just go and stab him again, but... All right, do not stab him again. Why? Okay, so just listen to my voice, okay? Stay on the line with me. I am complimenting. Okay, are you with the patient now? Well, I'm in the lounge and he's in the kitchen bleeding to death with any luck. All right, so just stay on the line with me. Look, this is not, you're not paid enough to do with this. It's not fair. Okay, well, ultimately, madam, I'm listening to your voice and you're the help I have available, so we need to help him, okay? No, I'm not. All right, madam, how many times have you stabbed him? David does not receive any assistance for his injuries despite his wife being told she will have to apply pressure to the wound to stop it from bleeding. She barely reacts to the suggestion of trying to stem the blood flow with a tea towel. I'm not helping him, she says. The paramedics can help him, but I'm not. In due course, officers would discover Penelope Jackson had left a confession written on a notepad. It was headed, Self-Defence. Pre-med, you decide. To the side, Penelope had written, Sorry about my spelling. The note read, To whom it may concern. I have taken so much abuse over the years. Look at my records in Germany. But he was a good daddy. However, the mask slipped tonight, and that was unforgivable. I accept my punishment May he rot in hell. 
Penelope Jackson accepted that she had ended her husband's life. She offered a guilty plea to a charge of manslaughter, but did not accept the Crown's case that David Jackson was murdered. Penelope Jackson's counsel was Claire Wade QC, a distinguished and respected lawyer who had represented Sally Challen. Challen's case had received a great deal of publicity. She had been convicted of murdering her husband in 2011, before her conviction was subsequently quashed and a plea of manslaughter was accepted in 2019. New evidence of a history of domestic abuse and coercive control had come to light. Following a report on her mental state, it was concluded Sally Challen was suffering from an adjustment disorder. At the time of Penelope Jackson's trial, Claire Wade QC was also in the process of producing an independent review into how domestic homicide is sentenced after it was instigated by the Domestic Abuse Commissioner Nicole Jacobs. Jacobs felt that there was a great deal of misunderstanding surrounding coercive control. This would likely affect jurors' verdicts when they are reaching decisions on domestic homicide cases. When the topic of a loss-of-control defence was mentioned by the prosecutor, Christopher Quinlan QC said that Penelope Jackson would need to evidence that she, quote, feared serious violence from David Jackson, or something was done or said to cause her to have a justifiable sense of being seriously harmed. We say that it doesn't even come close to amounting to a partial justification for manslaughter. When she was initially charged, after being taken to Bridgewater Station in Somerset, the defendant had a conversation with officers. They told her to wait for legal representation, but she continued regardless, even making a joke about what she was wearing. Do you usually have murderers where they're wearing Marks and Spencer's pyjamas? She said. Jackson remained light-hearted, even telling the officers not to laugh. One of them interjected, I can assure you we're not laughing. As the officers explained that she was being re-arrested after her husband was pronounced dead, Jackson replied, It's murder now, not attempted murder. Oh good, I did it. Why I did it is a different issue, but I did it. Remorse is easy. It's been a long time coming, but I did it. I'm guilty. Jackson remarked that she should have walked away, but she said she would do it all again regardless of the punishment. Quote, If they locked me up for 125 million years, it would still be worth it. Adding, Sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. As the days passed in custody, Jackson was less forthcoming. She then read a prepared statement. She spoke about how controlling and abusive her husband was, and on one occasion while they were on a cruise ship, he had allegedly tried to kill her. In her police statement about the evening her husband died, Jackson told officers, 
We had eaten the dressed crab and lobster, and I mentioned getting the steak and bubble and squeak out, and his face changed. The face I had seen so many times. I knew as soon as the kids got off the call there would be a beating. It had happened so many times. A recording of Penelope Jackson's arrest was played to the court. Curious jurors watched the footage as Jackson was witnessed with her head in her hands, unable to look up from the dock. Hey, madam, do you need to step outside for me a minute? Can you, can you come outside? Yes. Thank you. He's on the kitchen floor. Okay, at this moment in time, okay, if you just listen to my colleague... Um, under arrest suspicion of attempt murder, mate. Under arrest yeah, suspicion of attempt murder. And you do not have to say anything, but it, it, it may harm your defence. You do not mention when questioned anything you're later relying on court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. Um. In the recording, after being placed in the patrol car, she complains about how cold it is. So the officers go and get her a coat. Jackson is only dressed in her pyjamas. Once at the station, she again complains about the cold, telling officers that she might freeze to death as they are carefully processing her, taking her temperature as part of the COVID precautions. The um, DO's just come out to um, check your temperature and then we'll, we'll move you in. And just mind your heads. Just stay there for the time being. All right. I'm going to buy my slippers. All right. I'm not exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. step up, mind your head. Yeah. I'm very sorry for being a nuisance. No, you've got to take a temperature, all right? Yeah. Oh, that would be just really great. Get COVID on the top of me. David and Penelope Jackson were seen, at least from the outside as a loving couple who rarely, if ever, argued, and even if they did, the disagreements did not linger on. That said, when reviewing police records, it was revealed that following a blazing row, the police had visited their home around two months before David Jackson's death. Penelope Jackson had been the one to call the authorities after an argument with her husband over the television remote control. She had locked her husband in their conservatory. He was highly emotional, and Penelope wanted him to calm down. But he did not stay in there for long. David Jackson took a poker from the stove and smashed his way out. David left his wife with bruises on her arm. According to Penelope Jackson, the cause for this violent outburst was said to have been down to an operation that David Jackson had on a battery-powered implant in his brain. The procedure was carried out on December 21st, several days before the police arrived at the address. David Jackson had originally undergone the procedure to have the device installed because he suffered from a number of health issues, including a condition that caused tremors in his limbs. He had previously fought cancer in his prostate and bowel, along with tumours in his brain. 
a friend of the family spoke about the Jacksons. The witness saw two very different people. Malcolm Compton Bishop said David was a kind and generous man, while Penelope was sometimes self-opinionated and intolerant. She seemed unsympathetic and complained that one day she would, quote, end up with a vegetable. Christopher Quinlan QC, acting for the Crown, told the court that when David Jackson was killed, the defendant was, quote, calm and resolute, and perhaps in places resigned, and in her words, not mine, compass mentors. The prosecutor went on to address some of the claims the defendant made about her husband. There is a difference, though, between a relationship with some occasional difficulties and one that is abusive and coercive and controlling. I use these words because these are the words Penelope Jackson used to describe her relationship with David Jackson. He was abusive, she said. He was controlling and he coerced her. In her statement to police, the defendant said that the abuse started a few years into their marriage in the late 90s when one of David Jackson's sons from his first marriage sadly took his life. According to Defence Counsel Claire Wade QC, David's son Gavin had left a note in which he wrote that he didn't want to be like his father. David Jackson's second wife would later explain that she thought Gavin was having an affair. Following his son's death, David Jackson underwent bereavement counselling. As reported in the media, the killing in February 2021 was supposedly started over an iPad charger. But it was revealed in court the arguments first began over a disagreement to do with food, while the Jacksons were on a Zoom call with their daughter and her husband. Their daughter and son-in-law had purchased Penelope and David Jackson a prepared home-cooked gourmet meal kit. The family ate together, albeit over Zoom, starting sometime around 2pm. They had not been eating for more than 15 minutes before the disagreement started. However, the Jackson's son-in-law would confirm that despite the tension, initially everyone appeared to be having fun. It was only in the evening when the iPad they were using to make the call was running low on battery. The argument escalated before the electronic device lost charge. This was around 7.30pm. When Penelope Jackson reappeared on the screen, it looked as though she had been crying. David Jackson was not sitting near the device, but in the background. The Zoom call ended. David went upstairs. Penelope Jackson told officers when interviewed that it was David who was provoking her as he lay on a spare bed. When I woke up, I felt I couldn't do this anymore and I intended to take my own life and I planned to slit my wrists, she said. I told David I'd had enough and I was going to kill myself and he said... 
get on with it then. I then thought, why should it be me? It's you. Sheila Taylor, David Jackson's second wife, detailed her experience of life with her ex-husband. The union dissolved when David walked out on Sheila in 1993. Sheila found out her then-husband was having an affair after Penelope Jackson rang their home, asking to speak with David. David then told his wife what was going on. He had slept with a woman called Penny. As he spoke, a tremor began in David's hands and he turned pale. David Jackson said he had not been interested in pursuing the relationship with the defendant. However, she had demanded that he tell his wife what was going on. Sheila Taylor said of her marriage with David, He was a kind man, loving, considerate, and I was very happy. After they parted ways, Sheila remained in contact with her former husband. The two spoke candidly about David's new marriage. He apparently described being miserable and even mentioned that he was scared of his wife. When Sheila Taylor offered evidence to the court, she was asked what she was told by David Jackson and the impact his new marriage was having on his life. Sheila testified that David mentioned that if he was to leave Penelope Jackson... He was worried about what would happen. He was scared that it would end his career and ruin his reputation. David Jackson was allegedly afraid, and when talking to his ex-wife, he specifically mentioned the case of John Wayne Bobbitt, a man who had his penis cut off by his wife Lorena while he was asleep. Lorena Bobbitt claimed her husband stole her possessions and she was subjected to abuse, sexual assault and rape. Although the case went to trial, John Wayne Bobbitt was found not guilty. Furthermore, Bobbitt's wife was acquitted and absolved of any criminal liability for her actions, as a jury felt she was not of sound mind and was to some degree acting in self-defence. David Jackson had been threatened by Penelope that if he ever left her, she would, quote, do a bobbit on him. Jane Calverley, one of David Jackson's daughters from his first marriage, described how she was raised, being told to always be well-behaved as her father did not like to be shown up. He was not someone who sought out the limelight, shying away from being the centre of attention. In the opinion of the witness, Penelope Jackson was the opposite. I always felt everything had to revolve around Jackson, Jane Calverley said. She was a very larger-than-life character. She would enjoy making people uncomfortable. According to Jane, her father's wife, enjoyed finding people's sore spots and poking them. At one point, when the Jacksons stayed with David's daughter for several weeks, P. 
Penelope Jackson would often leave the bedroom door wide open when she came out of the shower. The witness recalled that both her father and Penelope Jackson drank a lot. Alcohol appeared to loom large over their relationship. They never argued in the presence of Jane. She described it as an uncomfortable feeling, an atmosphere. There was a comment that Penelope Jackson made to David's daughter when she was having difficulties with her relationship. Instead of offering an empathetic ear, Jane Calverley was told by Penelope, it's much easier if your husband kills himself. As the backgrounds of both the defendant and her deceased husband were laid bare to the court, the jury would come to learn of the fact that Penelope Jackson's third husband had taken his own life after finding out about the affair between Penelope and David Jackson. Friends of the defendant spoke of a marriage that had a few minor ups and downs like any couple. Still, they were not aware of anything sinister going on at home. Former co-worker Julie Smith offered her opinion that the Jacksons seemed comfortable in each other's company. David was quiet, unassuming, sociable, a good man, the witness said. Penelope was sociable and gregarious. They both had quite strong views, so they were similar in that respect. Another friend, Veronica Statham, told the court that Penelope Jackson had got a tattoo while David was away, travelling for work. According to the witness, she believed Penelope did it to be controversial, and David was not happy. The tattoo above one of her buttocks read, Property of David Jackson. The beginning of the second week of the trial would focus on an incident several months before David Jackson's death. Shortly before Christmas 2020, the police arrived at the Jackson's property on Parsonage Road in Barrow. Penelope Jackson's call to the emergency services was played to the court. She can be heard telling the operator that her husband had warned her to leave him alone. David threatened her with a fire poker. He smashed a window in the couple's conservatory, then packed a rucksack and attempted to leave. Jackson said on the call that her husband did not mean it, and it's Christmas, and it should not be happening. A portion of the call transcript read, I've just got bruises up my arms. He grabbed me and threatened me. I don't want to say anymore. It's not like him. He's just mad. I can't explain. Penelope Jackson appeared surprised and upset when police arrived at the address, with officers explaining that it needed to be treated as an assault, as she spoke in what was described as a wavering voice. The responding officers found David Jackson in another room of the house with his son-in-law. He was despondent and did not care what happened or if he was arrested. 
The couple were told they should not spend the night under the same roof, so David went to stay with his daughter in Bristol. In the presence of her daughter, Penelope Jackson showed officers her injuries. She described her husband as a pain in the arse. Part of me wants to make him pay for it, but that's spite, Jackson said when officers inquired if she wanted to take the matter further. It's either we get through it or we get divorced. At the moment, I do not know how we get back from it, she added. Penelope Jackson told PC Susan Seeley, who would later testify, that she believed her husband's actions were due to a medical procedure, as it seemed to come out of nowhere. One of the responding officers filled out a police violence abuse questionnaire. Jackson confirmed that she did not feel depressed and she was neither feeling isolated nor felt stalked. A follow-up at the address was made and police were informed that David Jackson had no memory of the incident. It had subsequently been discussed with doctors and David was advised to turn down the voltage in the battery for a device that was placed under his skin, similar to a pacemaker. PC Susan Seeley would later tell the jury at Bristol Crown Court that, at the time, David Jackson exhibited slurred speech. He mumbled, and his words were almost inaudible. He had trouble standing up. Days later, the couple told officers the incorrect settings to the implant seemed to be the cause for the incident. The condition David Jackson suffered from required deep brain stimulation, and the electronic implant helped achieve this. Experts had analysed Penelope Jackson's mobile phone. Soon after the incident, she began searching the internet for information on the type of implant her husband had and she sought more information on deep brain stimulation. In addition to this, her Google search history and WhatsApp messages with her husband did at least in part support her claims of abuse. Penelope Jackson, who had never been arrested prior to her being charged with murder, sought information about the charity Refuge. Living with an abuser her legal rights, and a divorce lawyer. In correspondence with her husband in December 2018, over two years before the police arrived at her home following reports of a stabbing, Jackson told her husband that it was like living with the quote, devil incarnate. I cannot continue to take this nastiness, no matter how much I love you. It is just not fair. The future is in your hands. You stop this nastiness or we go our separate ways. Another WhatsApp message from Penelope told her husband that she could not grow old being frightened. Alcohol appeared to be a factor. Drink affects people differently, she wrote. I get happy and you get nasty. Your decision... I have stayed for love, yet you throw that back at me. 
you need to stop. Seven and a half weeks would pass between the police first arriving at Parsonage Road and David Jackson's death, but no contact was made with the authorities during this time. 
she did not speak about what was happening. Quote, She lost control and stabbed her husband. She did not intend to kill him or cause serious harm. 24 years culminated in the events of February 13th and were brought to a head on that day. As she said to the cool handler, it seemed like a drastic solution. But as she also said, I've had enough. She lost all ability and sense of self and identity by the time she lashed out at David. She knew where she was going, but said, My life in prison is preferable to what it was now. From the stand, Penelope Jackson spoke of the abuse she claimed she suffered and how she did not know what side of her partner's personality she would get when she woke up in the morning. She compared the feeling to walking on eggshells, and she always lived with a knot in her stomach about what might happen. Jackson said she loved her husband, and there were moments of genuine tenderness and kindness. Still, she had no idea what would trigger David's behaviour, She highlighted it sometimes could be as simple as cooking a side dish, not ordering a dessert or cheese board when they were out for dinner, or if David was struggling with his health issues. Jackson alleged that she was controlled in many elements of her life, even the small things, like deciding what the couple would watch on television. She wanted to watch Doctor Who and Made in Chelsea, but her husband refused to let her. Penelope Jackson said she took pleasures in the simple things like listening to the archers on the radio while ironing or doing a jigsaw puzzle. But according to the defendant, she was not allowed as it interrupted her husband's day. She said that she was only permitted to go to the gym in the mornings and do the food shopping. She would later describe the moment she called the police in December following her husband's threats with the fire poker. Penelope Jackson said, I covered up for my husband for years. This was my first tentative steps to stop the cycle of anger and violence done to me. It was not every minute of every day or every week. The violence was sporadic. The nastiness. Being called a thing even using the TV remote, I couldn't do nothing. I was tentatively trying to take back control, not immediately, but bit by bit. I had lost all control. I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. Based on the testimony of the defendant, the situation escalated to the point that a knife was held to her throat. It was claimed if she did not want to have sex, her husband forced her regardless, putting his hand over her mouth. Jackson told the court, It makes me feel ashamed that I have done what I have done, but it also makes me ashamed that I didn't have the wherewithal to say this is happening and I am going to leave. It wasn't until I went to prison and said this isn't normal. It's just shameful to admit that you let your husband force you to have sex 
you have not said no. Penelope Jackson said she slowly lost friends whom her husband took a dislike to, before eventually realising she had no friends left. Describing the attacks, Jackson testified. It would always start out with him being verbally aggressive. It was always about me being disloyal, and he would say, you've never loved me anyway. He called me a thing like I wasn't a person. It would escalate, and he would shake me most of the time. He strangled me sometimes, and I would go unconscious sometimes. Other times I would be semi-conscious, and I would be on the bed or the floor, and if he was really angry, he would kick me. The defendant told the jury that after every instance, David Jackson would tell his wife he was sorry. She admitted that she got the tattoo of Property of David Jackson on her body to placate her husband to stop his bouts of jealousy. He would tell her that she did not love him, but she asked why, if she did not love him, did she stay with him? I still love him, even after all this, she told the court. Penelope Jackson said she was desperate to make the marriage work after her last husband, Alan, took his own life. She blamed herself. She described how she slept with David Jackson and at that point only saw it as a one-night stand. Her husband was away working in Saudi Arabia when it happened. He was devastated and angry. Penelope Jackson admitted to the court that she told Alan if he had not been in Saudi Arabia, they would not be in the situation they were in. The next morning she awoke and wondered where he had gone. She walked into the garage and found him. The car's engine was running. It was bright red and lifeless. Alan had died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Penelope Jackson told the court that after she remarried, any reminders of her old life, including photographs, mementos or letters from past husbands, had to be hidden away. Otherwise, they would have been thrown away if they were found by David. Shortly before they left for Germany, David had, according to Jackson, taken an axe to the furniture in the front room of the house after he found wedding pictures of his wife's previous marriage. I was baffled, Jackson testified. He said he was so angry and frightened I was going to go to Germany and leave him, and he took it out on the furniture, and he inferred it was better to take it out on that than me. She made up an excuse when asked about the damage, telling friends that they hosted a party of teenagers that got out of hand. Penelope Jackson detailed the instances of abuse, and on one occasion this occurred in front of relatives at a barbecue when they were in Germany. We had a huge row and then David hit me, headbutted me and punched me. I ran away into the house. He followed eventually and had a knife to my throat. 
his family pulled him off. On another occasion, Jackson said her husband headbutted her when he was angry. Penelope Jackson's daughter from her mother's third marriage was raised believing that David Jackson was her biological father. This was something he supposedly insisted on, but he allegedly threatened his wife that if she did not stay in line, he would tell Jackson's daughter the truth. Describing the night David Jackson was killed, Penelope Jackson explained to the court how, after an argument following the meal, she considered taking her own life. She took a knife upstairs. She said in the past she had felt threatened, so she had the blade with her for protection. She feared what her husband might do. She went into her husband's bedroom where he was sitting upright on the bed. She told David to admit he was in the wrong. I wanted him to say, I'm sorry, Penn, don't be silly. Come and give us a cuddle. However, David Jackson dismissed her, and when she described to her husband that she planned on ending her life, he told her, For God's sake, you're pathetic. Either get on with it or go back to bed. From the stand, Jackson recounted the initial attack when she slashed her husband across the chest. However, she said she could not understand why she did it. I have never been violent in my life, she remarked. I never even smacked the children. Jackson explained that she wrote a short note before the police arrived. However, the time frame of when exactly this occurred in the sequence of events was not clear due to Jackson's inability or unwillingness to fully recall what happened and the conflicting statements provided. After going downstairs, David picked up the phone in the lounge to call the emergency services. He told his wife, See how it feels to have the police phoned on you followed by, you couldn't even get that right. You're pathetic. Penelope Jackson stabbed her husband twice while he was on the phone. Jurors were told by the defendant that she was shocked and appalled by what she said on the call to the 999 operator. Quote, This was the final straw because in December I had mentally said I wasn't going to put up with it. He had the contempt for me, and he had been so rude and obnoxious in front of our daughter. It wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, it was the bundle. I cried and cried and cried. I was so upset about the whole of the last year of my marriage. As far as I was concerned, my marriage had just imploded. It wasn't earth-shattering, but belittling me over bubble and squeak. After her arrest, Jackson was questioned why she did not help the man she was married to for 24 years as he was bleeding to death. She said she was scared witless of him. 
remembering the events just before the stabbing, she testified. He had shown to our daughter his utter, utter contempt to me. I could not see any way out. I know it is a stupid thing to have got to be in the dock for killing someone over bubble and squeak, but that is what happened. Following on from questions by her counsel, Penelope Jackson faced cross-examination from Christopher Quinlan QC. The prosecutor told Jackson that she was not subjected to the level of control she claimed, as her husband let her go to the gym and go shopping. There she could socialise with friends. Jackson retorted, If he didn't want me to do it, I didn't do it. I didn't have the guts and was too cowardly to address it head on. It's a bit like me too. And it takes other people to step up and for you to say that happened to me. Christopher Quinlan QC put it to the defendant that on the night David Jackson died, David had not provoked his wife and he did not threaten her. The prosecutor said the attack was intentional and David was certainly in no position to pose a threat when he was stabbed for a second time after an initial assault in the bedroom. Jackson rejected this suggestion, telling the barrister, I saw blood. I left immediately. I was horrified. She described how she had lost the plot, and as tears welled up in her eyes, she said it was that face. From the stand, Jackson could not compose herself any longer. As she cried, she said she was not thinking. He was always a threat when he had that face on. You can't see him looking at you like that. I told the truth. I keep telling the truth. It was during this period of questioning when the assumed series of events that both the prosecution and defence had been trying to construct started to unravel. Penelope Jackson was saying she couldn't remember exactly when she wrote the note. It was either before the attack or in between the first time David was slashed with a knife or when he was stabbed again. Christopher Quinlan QC then went back over Penelope Jackson's claim that she lost it. Quinlan said this must have happened more than once in a short period of time, with Jackson regaining her composure before losing it again. The defendant denied this characterization, describing what happened as one single incident. Penelope Jackson did not dispute that she killed her husband, but as her emotional state got the better of her, from the stand she repeated that she could not recall what happened. I accept I did it and to be truthful I don't remember, she said as she wiped away the tears. I have told the truth the whole way through. I didn't think. If I had thought I wouldn't have done what I did. I accept I have done something dreadful. He loved me. I loved him. But something awful happened. And I don't remember doing that. 
Tom Potterton, who was Penelope Jackson's son-in-law, could not remember ever seeing David Jackson strike his wife. While acquaintances never saw the Jacksons argue, close family knew from time to time that they had their disagreements, and that was nothing out of the ordinary. Tom Potterton had been on the Zoom call with his wife Isabel, Penelope and David's daughter. Isabel was the biological daughter of Alan Warrender, Penelope Jackson's third husband. He had died when she was young. Isabel was later adopted by David Jackson. The Zoom call started during the early afternoon of February 13th. They were celebrating a birthday meal for Penelope. They were drinking champagne and cocktails. Isabel and her husband had purchased David and Penelope Jackson a home-cooked gourmet meal of lobster, crab and steak. What was described as a Michelin-starred ready meal did not come with potatoes. This was something that David Jackson had voiced his upset over a day before the Zoom call. David's wife said she would cook what she called a posh bubble and squeak, made from cabbage and potatoes, that they could eat with it. Jackson had previously testified. I said to David, shall I get the bubble and squeak out now? His reaction was, what potatoes? What are you on about? I was totally thrown. And he was muttering, You are just trying to show me up that I didn't think their meal was good enough. I was just horrified. Withdrew into myself. They spent all that money and I was trying to put a brave face on it but I did not know where it was going to go afterwards. The couple were arguing first about food. Lots of drinking followed then when the iPad was running low on charge. A disagreement began about the iPad charger before the call became disconnected. When the call started again, Penelope Jackson's eyes were red as if she was upset. Based on the testimony from his son-in-law, David Jackson told his wife words to the effect of that she could not admit when she was wrong but he was not threatening and spoke in a way that anyone would in that situation. The couple's daughter had made an effort to calm her parents down without success. Describing the increasing sense of animosity, David and Penelope Jackson's son-in-law, Tom Potterton, said, My wife thought it was best to leave it. It wasn't pleasant. It was a sad ending to what had been a nice day. Isabel made a phone call to her parents soon after 8pm asking if everything was okay. Her mother had sent a text message that read, If it all goes tits, you have this message. I love you to the ends of the earth. Isabel then spoke with her mother who said, I'm absolutely fine, don't worry. I'll call you in the morning. This was the last time Penelope Jackson would speak to her daughter before she was arrested for killing her husband. 
David Jackson's sister Jennifer Bliss had told the court that her brother was not the sort of person to have prolonged arguments. And she had witnessed him arguing with his wife, usually when they were drunk. He would always leave the room. Jennifer was upset with the way her sibling was being portrayed. She said he was usually the one to be goaded, run down and tormented. Yet still, highlighting what the defence saw as an instance of David Jackson's temper, a video recording of one incident was taken on a mobile phone. This footage was played to the jury. It was captured shortly before the police were called in December 2020 and several months before David's death. Penelope Jackson can be seen calmly speaking to her husband as an argument about the television remote had erupted. David Jackson told his wife, If you want me to go, I will go. I would rather go. I have had enough. Whatever I do is wrong. Whatever I say is fucking wrong these days. Jesus Christ. With a fire poker in his hand and accusing Penelope Jackson of having a hidden agenda, David Jackson shouts, Fuck off to bed. I will fucking throw this at you. The defendant was asked by the prosecutor if she was goading her husband, but she replied that the recording was made to show her daughter Isabel what was happening over something so trivial. After it was sent, Isabel sent a text message back to her mother, which read, Go to bed, the pair of you. More of the same of you bickering. It was again highlighted that David Jackson had since undergone surgery and was at that point having difficulty with his movement and speech. David and Penelope Jackson's daughter, who had been communicating with them over Zoom on the day of David Jackson's death, spoke before the court about her parents' relationship and what she had witnessed over the years. The prosecutor, Christopher Quinlan QC, told Isabel Potterton her parents seemed to be enjoying themselves later in life as they tended to their garden and took trips abroad on cruise ships. The witness agreed. Isabel, who was expecting a child of her own, described her father as someone who would brood about an argument, while her mother would get frustrated. Then there would be an outburst before it would quickly pass. They did argue over trivial matters, and Penelope Jackson even mentioned to her daughter that she considered leaving her husband more than once. The comments seemed to come to nothing. The couple's daughter had not directly seen any violence from her father in recent years, although she had not been living with her parents. Isabel Potterton testified that there were several instances when her father, David Jackson, had been violent towards her mother or physically threatening. These predominantly occurred when the family were living in Germany, as David Jackson was stationed out there for work. 
This aligned with Penelope Jackson's timeline and occurred after David's son Gavin from a previous marriage took his own life. David Jackson had sought counselling, but his daughter agreed. It was the worst time in her father's life. As she put it, the event broke him. While Isabel Potterton could not remember precise dates, she first recalled her father smashing up a Mother's Day present in front of his daughter when she was a child. Sometime later, Isabel saw her mother being attacked after coming home from school. Her mother had been shoved up against a wall and was left with a bloody nose. Afterwards, Penelope Jackson packed her bag, and along with her daughter, they stayed at a hotel before they returned. From what Isabel understood, it was her mother who decided to stay with her father. Furthermore, Isabel also recounted a barbecue, attended by not only close relatives but members of the wider family, which included grandparents and children from David Jackson's previous marriage. Although the exact wording of what Penelope Jackson said could not be recalled, Isabel Potterton remembered clearly the family running into the house and her father holding a knife to her mother's throat. Several guests intervened and struggled as they pulled David away, who was intent on physically striking his wife. After nearly three weeks of evidence, a summary of the arguments by both the prosecution and defence were put before the jury at Bristol Crown Court. Using a method described as route to verdict, Judge Martin Picton explained to the jury that there were several issues they had to consider. This related to the defence's argument of loss of self-control and lack of intent to kill the jury had to assess if someone with a, quote, normal degree of self-restraint and tolerance would act in the same way as the defendant. While the prosecutor contended that Penelope Jackson's actions were plain to hear on the 999 call and what she said to officers, a recording was captured on a body cam, the defence counsel had argued that the actions of her client were within the range of how a normal person would act, considering how David Jackson had supposedly behaved towards his wife. These instances had been recounted by the couple's daughter who witnessed some of the attacks, albeit in the late 90s. The judge told jurors, If you are sure that such a person would not have reacted in such a way, the defence of loss of self-control would not apply, and your verdict on the charge of murder would be guilty. If, however, you decide that such a person would or may have reacted in a similar way to the defendant, then the defence of loss of self-control would apply, and your verdict would be not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. The judge went on to say, it is contended that the reaction of the defendant stabbing her husband 
as he was calling for help at a point when he was already bleeding from a serious, albeit not fatal, wound is not how someone with a normal degree of tolerance and self-restraint would react. The defence, however, argue that you cannot be sure that such is the case. On Friday, October 29th, 2021, the 12 members of the jury had reached a decision. It took 11 hours. In the briefest silence between the announcement and the commotion that would follow, only a single audible intake of breath could be heard. As the majority verdict was read aloud, Penelope Jackson seemed disassociated from her present circumstances utterly unfazed by the consequences of the jury's verdict. Jackson was found guilty of murder. The judge told Penelope Jackson that he felt like the now-convicted murderer intended to kill her husband, and her actions were premeditated. Judge Martin Picton described her, quote, shocking level of callousness, and felt that she feigned remorse when she was in the witness box. Addressing Jackson and what he saw as a false picture she had painted of her husband, The judge told her, Despite professing to still love him, you sought in this trial to portray David Jackson as a monster. Whilst there were no doubt tensions in the marriage, points of friction that lockdown will have accentuated, I am quite sure that he was nothing like the person you claimed. According to Judge Martin Picton, the mitigation in the case was Penelope Jackson's considerable service for the Ministry of Defence and her lack of criminal convictions prior to the murder. Isabel Potterton would compose a victim personal statement which was widely shared. She described how she had not only lost her father, who she looked up to and loved, but her mother too. I have lost the woman who always knew how to make me feel better, she said. The woman who was my friend, my champion and my support. The woman who cared, cherished and loved me. Yes, I know mum is here, but she's not the same person I knew. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that the relationship I once cherished can never be built back to what it was. For the crime of murder, Penelope Jackson would have been facing a minimum of 15 years in prison. However, the judge added a further three years to her sentence for the harm inflicted to David Jackson in his final moments. You took the life of another human being, the judge reflected. 
That is a terrible thing to do, and it represents a burden you and all the other family members will have to bear for the rest of their lives. Their memories of David Jackson will always be tarnished by the manner of his death and by the way you sought to portray him. Penelope Jackson looked directly at her daughter Isabel before she was taken from the court to start her sentence. What really strikes you is the calmness of Mrs. Jackson. Uh, the, she was, in her words, compass mentis, so really clear in her thinking. And that came across in her conversations with the police, uh, where she was very clear uh, about her intentions on the night and that she had wanted to kill Mr. Jackson. She had widely travelled, enjoyed the finer things in life, very um, strong personality the evidence presents. She had um, uh, quite outspoken, particularly uh, after a few drinks. And, um, and she, could, she could have quite a domineering character for some. Um, but, um, so she was quite confident, but actually, um, that, that said, there was no indicators, I think, for anyone that, that knew her or was close to her um, to suggest that she'd be capable of any sort of violence like this. Following sentencing, several notable experts in the field of criminology and people impacted by domestic abuse were interviewed, providing their thoughts on what was seen as an incredibly complex case that divided public opinion. It had generated much media attention, not only because the 999 call and body cam footage were widely publicised, but also the allegations of abuse made by Penelope Jackson and what was seen as the lack of understanding surrounding coercive control. A professor, Dr Jane Monckton-Smith, who specialises in the field of domestic homicide, told Rachel Hall writing for The Guardian that she felt that the evidence in the case plainly demonstrated that Penelope Jackson was subjected to coercive and controlling behaviour by her husband. Dr Monckton-Smith described how victims feel like the only way they can escape their situation is to kill the person responsible. The repercussions, a prison sentence, would be preferable to the trauma they are experiencing. The professor who worked as a forensic criminologist highlighted the disparity in sentencing between a man killing his wife or significant other who was trying to leave the relationship compared to a woman who kills their spouse or partner because they are being subjected to abuse. Sally Challen, who had been acquitted of murdering her husband, voiced her shock and surprise that the, quote, judicial system and the CPS haven't learnt from my case. The director of the Centre for Women's Justice, Harriet Wistrich, who acted as Sally Challen's lawyer, asked that Penelope Jackson's sentence be compared to a number of other cases in which men had killed their partners. She released a statement through centreforwomensjustice.org.uk. Quote, Anthony Williams, who strangled his wife to death and was sentenced to five years. 
or Sam Pybus who strangled an extremely vulnerable woman Sophie Moss to death during a drunken episode of so-called rough sex, who got four years, eight months. Westrich said there needed to be a radical reform of the criminal justice system. Another expert criminologist, Professor David Wilson, was also asked about the crime. While he said that based on the evidence, he could accept that some form of abuse occurred, Wilson highlighted the challenges of arguing that Penelope Jackson was being subjected to coercive and controlling behaviour. It would be problematic because of the things Jackson said, like, I admit it all, and, with any luck, you'll be too late. I should have stabbed him a bit more. Professor Wilson's comments were published in the Express newspaper. It was always very difficult to run that defence legally because of the things that she said on the 999 call and the body cam footage, he said. I almost felt like the arresting officer was telling her to be quiet, don't say anything else, but she continued to speak. She deliberately intended and said she deliberately intended to do what she set out to do, and therefore the history of the relationship in that respect is secondary to the crime she set out to commit. Numerous experts spoke up, along with one of David Jackson's daughters from his first marriage. She completely disagreed with how her father was being portrayed when she testified in court. Jane Calverley was certain any claims of abuse regarding her father were simply not true. It was David Jackson who was the one that had been taken advantage of and abused because he would have been someone that was too proud to admit what was going on. David's daughter said of her father, he would not seek help from someone bullying, berating and psychologically controlling him because he would have viewed that as a man he should not be experiencing this, and felt shame. An unidentified relative of Penelope Jackson's third husband, Alan Warrender, spoke with a reporter, Barbara Davis. They discussed the affair between Penelope and David Jackson, while Penelope was still married, and how it affected Alan Warrender, stating, There's no question that the affair drove him to his death. After what she did to him and his family before she went on to murder her next husband, she should never be released from prison. She is a ruthless, greedy, angry woman. She is a danger to society. Stuart Warrender said that at his brother's funeral, Penelope Jackson appeared unusually cheerful. A coroner ruled that Alan Warrender took his life when the balance of his mind was disturbed. Alan was previously married, although his first wife Beverly passed away from cancer. He had two daughters and a son, whom he had adopted. However, after he met Penelope Jackson, the boy was placed back into care. Alan's brother believed that this decision was made by Jackson, who was a domineering force in the marriage. She had even allegedly put down two of Alan's beloved dogs while he was away on business in the Middle East. 
A negative perception of Penelope Jackson was also felt by David Jackson's sister. Jennifer Bliss described her brother as a gentleman, but said that Penelope Jackson was a liar and an alcoholic. Quote, She's the evil monster, not David. She's pure evil. I hope she never walks free. She's got what she deserves. The feelings of aversion to Penelope Jackson were contrasted by David Jackson's younger brother, Alan, who said that he would be visiting Penelope in prison. Although other family members did not agree with Alan Jackson's comments, in an interview with a reporter for the Sunday Times newspaper, Alan recalled an incident in which he saw his brother attempting to strangle his mother. The siblings were close when they were younger. However, Alan Jackson claimed that over time, David began to drink more, then became violent, and it was a cause for them to drift apart. David Jackson was referred to as, quote, an arrogant bully. Arguments about their mother's care and potential inheritance had developed. Yet more physical threats were made to Alan when he refused to communicate with his brother. Alan said that Penelope Jackson never had anyone to stand up for her. He wanted to visit Penelope in prison and tell her she was not alone. So where are we now? Around five weeks after Penelope Jackson was found guilty of murder, a solicitor announced that Jackson would be appealing the conviction as it was being argued she did not receive a fair trial. The footage of her arrest and 999 call was published partway through the trial at the moment when Penelope Jackson was giving evidence in her defence. It was felt that releasing evidence into the public domain, which was widely published not only through news outlets but generated a great deal of social media commentary, would have impeded the jury's decision-making process. Supposedly, the judge could not have provided specific guidance due to speculation and uninformed opinion which could have swayed the jury. The defence had argued to delay releasing the footage until the trial was over, but regardless, it was still made available. Professor Jane Monckton-Smith, who again spoke with the media, described what she thought of the footage. To somebody who doesn't know about intimate partner homicides, that footage could come across as if she was heartless and cold but when you understand how coercive control works and its impact on victims, you can see she is in shock and not attempting to manipulate people's ideas of what happened. At the time of this recording, Penelope Jackson's appeal is working its way through the courts. If she is unsuccessful... Jackson will be able to apply for parole in 2039 
when she will be in her mid-80s. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Make sure you check out our companion podcast series, They Walk Among America, covering tales of murder and mystery in the United States. Just search for They Walk Among America on your favourite podcast player. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.